Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for providing us your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. We thank you, Father, that you raised him from the dead. And whoever believes in your Son, Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection on our behalf will never perish but have eternal life. And Father, today we want to pray for our country. Father, we want to especially pray for the saints in this country and on the world, as well as in this geographic area, and especially our own congregation. We know that people are struggling and having going through a lot of adversity, Father. We would just pray that you would help them through it, and that they would understand that the way you've given all of us is your word that's live and powerful, and the Spirit dwells in our hearts. We also ask, Father, today that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct everything that we'll be participating in today, Father. The word of God being preached, fellowship with one another, singing, giving, all the things, Father, that we do as a body. And we would ask, Father, that you would also have the Spirit guide and direct us when we leave so that we can apply what we've learned. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Good morning again, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church. We have a different missionary organization that we feature every month, and this month we're featuring Mission Aviation Fellowship. They reach those who are in very, very remote areas by using planes and technology. want to remind you about the Mills family, and please keep them in prayer. They are based in Papua, Indonesia. The parents are Kevin and Kim, children Kyla, Caleb, and Kara, and very easy to remember at least the first letter of each of the names. So, but Please keep this family in prayer as they do their work in uh, Indonesia. Um, they're part of a great team of uh, people that are going to many different parts of the world um, to bring the gospel, but also to support and provide the resources that the people on the ground, the pastors and evangelists and everybody else. Um, this particular family uh, is in education, and they specialize actually in uh, making sure that the uh, missionaries' children are taught well. So please keep them in prayer about that. Also, um, COVID-19 precautions, I've been in just kind of describing them to you for the last couple of weeks. Looks like everybody is adhering to that. I mean, base, the basics, you know, that um, that we have social distancing. That's why we have a, we have a, a row that's empty between people um, six feet away. You know all of this, but this is, uh, you know, my lawyers tell me that I have. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, you, you're fine not to wear masks in here, but where you're going to be in areas where you might be close to people, please put your mask back on. Um, and uh, don't get too close, especially to me, because I'm antisocial. No. Because many of you know I'm uh, recovering from surgery and I have a health condition, so um, you can bring your own coffee or food as you always can, but because we, we closed down the kitchen for a while, we would just remind you that you can bring your own and um, we'll evaluate that over time to see whether we can open that up again. We have people that are online this morning, um, some of them because they're always online, others because they're realizing that their health situation or their age makes it um, kind of risky to be with us. So don't forget them. Keep them in prayer. They're with us. They're a part of us, though we may not be able to see them, just like the Lord, right? He's with us even though we can't see him. All righty. The title of today's message is Become Sober-Minded. Become Sober-Minded. 
very important thing we need to be reminded about. We'll see what this, is, what this means in connection with the subject of chapter 15, which is the resurrection of the, of the saints. And so if you turn now to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? The otherwise there just means that if you don't believe that Christ was risen from the dead, or more to the point here, that that, that meant that the saints would be resurrected from the dead. If you don't believe that, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Why are we also in danger every hour? Paul and his companions. I affirm, brethren, by my boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now again, this whole chapter is Paul's treatise, as it were. His treatment is full treatment of the subject of the resurrection of the dead. That's his focus. Yes, he begins by showing people that Christ is raised from the dead, which they believed, reminding him about that. But then he turns that argument around and says, if he hasn't been raised from the dead then your faith is in vain, my preaching is in vain, the dead have, in Christ have perished, and so forth. And we are the most foolish of all. Because, but he says that's because if you don't believe that the dead are raised, the saints, then you, don't, you can't believe that Christ was raised from the dead. So then after that, of course, he went in and he talked about the fact that the, there will be an order of the resurrection, and that at the end, God the Father will be all in all. Well, here he turns back again to the argument he stopped and after verse 19 about what happens if, if, what would happen if Christ wasn't raised from the dead. So it's starting in verse 29, he continues that argument. Began it in verses 12 to 19. Got a picture of the order of resurrection, and now he's continuing. Again, he's, he's, he, what he's doing is continuing the thinking that if there's no resurrection of the dead... Christianity is a fraud. There's no hope for anybody. But here in verses 29 to 34, he's going to extend that argument. He's going to give examples that extend what he's already said so that people have a fuller understanding of what he means. In verses 29 to 32, which we just read, okay, Paul puts flesh on the bones, as it were, of his earlier statements. He now gives examples that go along with what he said earlier so that they can't miss the point. For example, verse 29 elaborates on verse 18. We're going to read both of those. Again, verse 29, which we just saw, elaborates on what he said earlier in verse 18. So please look back at verse 18 to see how this works. 1 Corinthians 15, 18. Then those, who have fallen asleep, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If there's no resurrection of the dead, those who have died in Christ aren't coming back. In fact, they've perished completely. Then look at verse 29, because then he says, he gives a specific example 
okay, of a practice that they were performing on account of those who had fallen asleep, had the dead in Christ. Look at verse 29. Same subject, what about the dead now? But notice how he, how he adds to it. A specific example, a practice that some were involved in. He says, otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Again, if the dead have perished, why would people be performing a practice on their behalf? It doesn't make any sense. Now, in addition to that, as we go to verses 30 to 32, they elaborate on what we saw earlier in his argument when he was first putting this out in verses 14, 15, and 19. So let's take a look at that. Look at verses, go back to verse 14 now. See what he said earlier and see how what he's now going to say is an addition to that. It, it expands on what he said earlier. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 14 to 15. Remember? If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is vain. The preaching of the gospel is not true if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. Why? Because the preaching of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and on the third day he was raised from the dead. If that's not true, then their preaching is vain, empty. Not only that, but your faith is also in vain. The the Lord that you believe in wasn't raised from the dead. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. The apostles were actually lying about God because they were saying he, he raised Christ from the dead. And, he, and if he really didn't do that, they were lying about God. We are, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. So here he's saying, you know what, if there's no resurrection of the dead, that means Christ hasn't been raised. If he hasn't been raised, then all of our preaching is for nothing, and all of the belief that you have is for nothing, because there's no Christianity if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. And then look at verse 19. Same thing. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men the most to be pitied. If we've hoped in Christ, and and we have... Uh, arranged our lives and made the sacrifices and all the things that we do because we believe in the resurrection, because we believe that Christ is our Savior. He says, if that's not true, and that's only for this life, a lot of people think that. A lot of people, as they practically approach Christianity, they think it's just for this life. Oh, there's a good set of rules. If you keep the rules, you're going to have a good life. And that may all be true, but it doesn't mean anything if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. It doesn't mean anything if we're not going to be raised from the dead. You're missing the most important part of Christianity if you only think it's for this life only. Okay? Because now it's really not much different from any of the other religions. Okay? So he's saying that if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, if we're hoping in this life only about him, we are of all men most to be pitied. So he says that in verses 14, 15, and 19. But then he goes in verses 30 and 32, and he personalizes it. He gives examples. He he expands on what he said earlier. Okay, why are we the most to be pitied? He tells us why with some specific details in verses 30 to 32. So let's see that again. Verse 30 of chapter 15. Why are we also in danger every hour? These were particularly the apostles Apostle Paul and the ones who accompanied him, like Silas and Sophanes and Barnabas, they were in danger every hour, all the time. 
I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Why would he do that if Christ hadn't been raised from the dead? Why would he put himself in in harm's way in situations of death to proclaim the resurrection of Christ if Christ hasn't been raised? That would be a foolish thing to do. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts, we'll see more of this, at Ephesus, what does it profit me? I mean, you're really putting your life on the line if you're fighting against wild beasts. He's not talking about animals, but we'll see that in a little while. What does it profit me? What's the point? What's the point of me putting myself intentionally in dangerous situations so that I may reach the Gentiles with the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that I may realize that my own physical life here on earth could be stopped if I didn't believe that it wasn't the end, and that as a matter of fact, I would be raised from the dead, I would, there would be a resurrection of the saints, and I would be face to face with the Lord, and I would have the, the blessings and rewards that are in the inheritance. If that's not true, if none of that's true, what am I doing? That's what he's basically saying. What does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let's just party. That's what he's saying. If the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's all there is. We might as well get all the pleasure we can in the meantime. Then he turns finally to verses 33 to 34. Now here he pivots. First of all, he talked about those who were baptized for the dead. Then he talks about himself. And now he's finally addressing the Corinthians. The reason why he's saying what he's saying here. Writing what he's writing here. Because of the problems that they're having. Notice verse 33. Do not be deceived. If somebody tells you, do not be deceived, what does that mean about you at that time? You're being deceived. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not the brightest bulb in the package, but I can certainly see that. Don't be deceived. You're being deceived. You're a sucker for some lies. He says, bad company, we'll see more of that, corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded. They're not, right? They're deceived. They're under a delusion. He says, wake up, become sober-minded as you ought And stop sinning. If somebody tells you to stop sinning, what does that mean? Well, it means that, but what about you? What are you doing? You're sinning. All right? So in other words, he's looking at the folks and he's saying to them, you know, you're sinning. And we all sin, but he's talking about the fact that this is their lifestyle. They've adopted this as their manner. And he understands, and we'll see this, the connection between living a life of debauchery, if you will, And the connection that, you know what, there's no resurrection of the dead either, so I might as well eat, drink, and be merry. Don't do that. For some have no knowledge of God. If you don't believe that God raised Christ from the dead, if you don't believe that there is a resurrection of the saints, man, you don't know the first thing about God. He's created us as a heavenly people to have one day to be just like our brother Jesus Christ. He calls us the brethren, the brothers and sisters of the Lord. He's saying, if that, if that just means that we'll be that for a little while and then we're no more, would God do that? No, you don't have the slightest idea who God is. That's what he's saying. Some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. See, see he's, he's disgusted right now. He doesn't get that way often with the saints, but he is here. He understands the seriousness of what's going on. So, the argument proceeds... From they, in verse 29, the ones that are getting baptized for the dead, to I, Paul, in verses 30 to 32, to you, in verses 33 to 34. Now, let's get started with looking at this um, 
verse by verse. I'm just going to give you a little introduction to the first four verses here. In verses 29 to 32, Paul describes two particular practices, each of which makes no sense at all if there's no resurrection of the dead. There's two. One has to do with what some were doing. The other has to do with what he's doing. And notice they're they're very specific. The first one is the baptism on behalf of the dead. He's saying, if you're being baptized on behalf of the dead, and the the dead are perished, what's the point? That's what he's saying. And then the second one is his own life. What is he saying? He says, listen, I'm risking my life all the time out there. I'm facing all kinds of dangers in order to preach the death and resurrection of Christ. Why would I do that? That makes no sense at all if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, if there's no resurrection of the dead. Why am I doing that? Those are the two specifics that he gets, gives to again, back up his major thinking that if, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, none of what we preach matters at all. And you might as well, church, close it up. There's nothing to believe in here anyway. And just go on your merry way. Okay. After that, in verses 33 and 34, which we just read, he then chastises the saints. He's saying, look, I'm going through all of this. I've told you over and over again the consequences. If one were not to believe that the saints are not, will not be raised from the dead, I've described particular practices that make no sense if he hasn't. But now I'm going to turn to you directly and say that, you know what, there's things about you that you're living as if he didn't raise, was raised from, he wasn't raised from the dead, that you're not going to be raised from the dead. He does that by issuing a set of commands. They're designed to shame them so that they'll think correctly again. In other words, think what you already have learned. Please bring it to, to your mind and use that as the basis for how you live. Act righteously again. You're not. You're thinking as if in a dream. You're, you're in a slumber. You're, you're in a drunken stupor. That's what the word actually means. He says, you've got to get out of that. You've got to wake up. That's a problem. That's a danger. You may think, well, you know, the resurrection of the dead, that's just one doctrine among many. You know, we can just safely ignore that. But he's saying, no, you can't. He's saying, if you ignore that, that's, that's just a symptom of the fact that you're no longer believing in a core doctrine. And he says, if that's true, if you're not believing that, it's going to spread in your life. You're going to also act that way. You're going to act like a person who's, there's no resurrection. This is it. This life is it. And that'll show up in your behavior. That'll show up in your habits. That'll show up in the things you do and don't do. People you associate with and don't associate with. Okay, so that's the overview. So now let's go through this verse by verse. Let's go back to verse 29. And let's take this a little slower. 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Otherwise... What will those do who are baptized for the dead? There's certain words in the Bible that as soon as you command them, they're sort of like all kinds of light bulbs go off because there's all kinds of controversy about this word and so forth. Don't let that happen. All right. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? I want you to notice here that he's not telling them to do this. He has observed this behavior and he's saying, you know, I'm not going to comment right now on what I, what I think doctrinally about that. But just think about it yourselves. If you're doing something on behalf of the dead, and the dead have gone, why are you doing it? 
Why are you even doing it? By the way, you know, I study a lot of commentaries. That's a lot of work for only little benefit, trust me. But sometimes I get another perspective that I hadn't seen that helps me to, to teach. Well, if, if you were to look at commentaries on this section of 1 Corinthians 15, you would see that they, they spill more ink on this one verse than any other verse in the section. Maybe in some cases than all of the other verses in the section. You know, there might be like four pages on verse 29 and like two pages on verses 30 to 34. And when they do that, they, at the end of it, they're even unsure what it means anyway. So it's like, why did you just take me through that? And as you were taking me through all of that, I totally lost the main point of this, of this passage. So I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to spend any more time on that. I know you're frustrated now because you're itching to find out what that verse means. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know. If you think your pastor is supposed to know everything, you're in the wrong church. Go find another one. Because that's not here. Okay? I'm just like you. I'm still growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Okay? Only thing I'm going to say about this passage, this verse, is this. Again, a practice done on behalf of the dead makes no sense if the dead don't rise. That, I want you to take that away from this. Because that's his point. He's saying, look, I want to totally consider what you're slipping on, which is the idea that you're not sure that the, that the dead, the saints in Christ will be raised from the dead. Why would you do anything on behalf of the dead if you don't think they're going to be raised from the dead? That's the key point in this verse. Okay, let's go on. Verses 30 to 32 now. Turns to himself, turns to his fellow apostles, his companions. He says, why are we also in danger every hour? He's saying, those, if there's no resurrection of the dead, those people that are taking time out of their busy day to be baptized for the dead, what are they doing? What are they thinking? He said, not only them, but what am I thinking? I must be crazy if I am putting my life on the line again. Why are we also in danger every hour? Why are we doing this? You think we're just doing this to show off? Or somehow they're going to get some prize in this life? And maybe the, maybe the government's going to look at us and say, man, they're dedicated. Let me give him a position in the government. That's this life only. He says, that's not why I'm doing this. Why would I possibly put my life in danger if there's nothing to what I'm preaching? And as a matter of fact, when I die, there's nothing after that either. So it's all for nothing. It's really stupid to do that if there's no resurrection of the saints. Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is boasting in them. Understanding it's all his work is by the grace of God. But he's saying that, you know what, there's a reason why I'm willing to go through these dangers and put my life on the line again and again because I'm preaching the gospel. I preached it to you. You're my pride and joy. You see, I'm going to boast in you because there is a resurrection of the dead. Because the gospel is true. Because you have believed in the preaching. And that you, you have the opportunity now to continue to grow to maturity. That's his boast. But make no mistake, he was gambling his life. You know, the Bible doesn't say much about gambling, but Paul was gambling his very life because he had a sure hope. And it's a hope we should all take to heart. You might say, oh yeah, I believe that. But the issue is, is that hope so strong, so secure, so sure in your heart that you'll live every day like Paul did? Yeah, you know, I may be putting myself in situations that most of the world will look and say, you're a fool to do that. 
Why bother? But the answer is, is I have a hope that you maybe don't have. I will be raised from the dead in a physical body, and it will be just like the one Jesus has. See, that's a hope. That's a motivation. He says, that's why I'm doing that. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be willing to turn over what I cannot keep in order for the things I cannot lose. That's what he's saying. That's a quotation from a missionary. He goes on. He says, same, same principle. I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Obviously, he doesn't die physically every day. That'd be something. That'd be like instant reincarnation. Every day. Come on, it's okay. You can relax and laugh a little in church. No, he's not saying that. But he is saying something close to it. If from human motives, if, 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 if I would have the same motivation as those in the world who don't believe in Jesus, if that's why the starting point for what I did, then I'm crazy. For human motives, something I could get out of it, I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus. What does it profit me? It was for nothing. If the dead are not raised, why let us all eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Okay. He put himself in danger hourly, meaning all the time. He did the same thing with the people that came with him. Sometimes they were probably none too pleased. You can imagine. Paul, let's just get the heck out of here. You know, we're about to really, we are put in jail if we do this much longer. We might be beaten by these people if we do this much longer. He says, do what much longer? Preach the gospel? You bet that's what we're going to do. That's what we came to do. All right, so he put others in danger as well. A lot of people would take a look at that and say, you know, Paul, how could you? That's immoral to put other people in danger. Not if you're doing it for the purpose of preaching the gospel. To affirm that all of us believe that we're going to be raised from the dead. I'd like you to turn now to see some detail, even more detail, about what he's talking about. Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. He's going to tell them exactly what he meant when he said that I'm putting my life on the line for the gospel. I'm putting myself in danger all the time. What kind of danger? Look at 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29. He really spells it out. He tells them in no uncertain terms what he's been through. Now here in 2 Corinthians, he's actually saying, how can you say I'm not an apostle if I've gone through all of these things for the sake of Christ? Notice, 23. Are they servants of Christ? 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In what? Far more labors. Worked harder than anybody else. Far more imprisonments. See, we have a documentation of a couple of his imprisonments in Rome, in Philippi. But he's saying here there were a bunch more that maybe aren't recorded in the book of Acts. Notice this, beaten times without number. Think about that. He was beaten so many times he can't even keep count. That's a lot. Often in danger of death. Ah, that's what he means by dying daily. Often in danger of death. It's as if he, was, he says, you know what, as far as I'm concerned, I might as well have been dead because of what I've been through. And I've been through those kind of things over and over again. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Think about that, 39 lashes. You know, it was supposed to be 40, but they thought they were being kind by doing 39. I don't know what kind of crazy man came up with that. But yeah, they, he was beaten on his bare back with whips with, with the head, that had... Bits in them that try to strip off the skin, to be graphic. 
And he says, that was five times that happened to me. 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, he was left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. The night and the day I have spent in the deep. You know, people reading that, really, okay, okay, Paul, I get it. That's enough. But he goes on. I have been on frequent journeys. I've been in dangers from rivers. There was a lot of rivers flooding. We could have died from that. Dangers from robbers. People that wanted to steal everything from him. Dangers from my countrymen, the Jews. Dangers from the Gentiles. Everybody was after him. You know, if you read in the different chapters in the book of Acts, sometimes, and first of all, usually it was the Jews that didn't believe in Christ, that were after him, that wanted to kill him. There were some men that actually took out a contract on him and promised to each other they wouldn't eat or drink until he was dead. Then the Gentiles did the same thing. Was he, when he was in Ephesus, what was happening was, the, by the preaching of the gospel, people were believing in the one God, and they were realizing that these other gods that people were worshipping in Ephesus weren't anything. They were false. So why should I invest all this time and money in building idols of gold if, there's, if those are just false gods? Well, wouldn't you know, though, the merchants who were making lots of money off those idols and statues were really upset. Because, they were, because he was, again, he was taking away their livelihood. What happened? They wanted to kill him. So he was in dangers from the Jews and the Gentiles. Dangers in the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Imagine living this life. Dangers from the sea. Dangers from among false brethren. People who claimed to be Christians but really weren't. So he had unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Gentiles, and then people he thought had his back that didn't really have it. The false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I know there's times when we think that we're sacrificing from the Lord, and we are, but is it anything like the way that Paul did? You know, this ought to humble all of us and say, this is a man who believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a man who counted his life as nothing in order to gain Christ and to be with him forever. He totally believed that he would be raised from the dead, just like Abraham totally believed that if he would have killed his son on that mountain, that God would raise his son from the dead because he knew that the, air, the line of the airship to bless the whole world was going through Isaac. That's faith. That's what Paul had. Okay, verse 28. Notice this. There's something else. So we think of all of the dangers about external things that could happen to us But guess what? There's something else. Apart from such external things, attacks from outside, there is the daily pressure, I die daily, on me of concern for all the churches. You know, if you're really concerned about somebody and they're going astray, you know how you kind of die a little inside, we say? You know, that crushed me. That killed me. We say it that way. Well, why is that? Because the things that go on inside can also be um, seeming a lot like death. Despair, anxiety, worry. I know we're not supposed to do any of those things, but Paul says here he has concern for all the churches. He says, that's a big pressure on me. Over and above all the other things that are going on. And again, why bother if there's no resurrection of the dead? He he did all that to preach the gospel. He did all that because he believed in the promises of God. If, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, his preaching was for nothing. If Jesus Christ didn't die from the dead and the saints didn't rise from the dead, what we believe is nothing. 
That's how serious this is really when we come to think of it. We need to see it that way. Because there's so many, I would argue, a a large majority of people that consider themselves Christians today do not believe in the bodily resurrection of the dead. Most of them have this idea that we die and go to heaven, and that's it. It's not it. We are going to be raised in a transformed human body like Christ's. That's a minority view these days. Now, how can that be? There's only one way, and that is that people don't take seriously the Word of God. Oh, they may take part of it. These days, it's very popular, by the way, to take the life of Jesus and the things that he said, because they can use that for their agenda, but they never look at, but what, what, what did he say? Well, he said, I'm going to be raised from the dead three days after you kill me. Now, either that's true or it isn't, but you can't pick and choose in the Bible. Once you understand that, that the word of God is the word, the Bible is the word of God, words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Once you understand that, you can't pick and choose anymore. You can't say, I'm going to take his moral teachings, but I'm not going to be concerned with the issues of, of resurrection. You can't do that. Because if, if Jesus said he was God in the flesh and he isn't, he's a liar. Why would you take your moral teaching from a liar? Because if he lied about that, maybe he's lying about his moral teaching too. So you can't. You can't. You've got to take it all. And we'll see a little more of this today. All right. So all this suffering, I want you to think about it again. Beaten, stoned, whipped, shipwrecked, without food, sleepless nights, dangers everywhere. Why would he do all that? He would have gone on through all that for absolutely nothing. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 1530. Actually, we're going to start in 31 now. 1 Corinthians 1531. <laughs> I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Now notice verse 32. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus, what does that profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He died daily. He faced death many times over. Perhaps you and I have faced death a couple of times in our life for the cause of Christ. Even that is, of course, very unusual for the saints today, especially in the United States. I mean, think about, again, if you want to be humble, I want you to think about what's going on in countries that are hostile to Christianity. You want to talk about people who die daily and face death many times. It's really them, not us. All right? But he did. He faced death many times over in order to fulfill his mission. See, see, if we've been given a mission, we should ask ourselves the question, am I willing to die for the calling that the Lord has placed on my life? Because that really is the issue. That's how you know you believe in the resurrection of the dead. If you understand you, you have the calling, I'm taking it seriously, and I'm even willing to die for it if necessary, because I'm going to fulfill the calling, the ministry that God has given me. That's a real test. That's something we should all consider. That will wake up your faith in a hurry. You won't be in a, in a slumber much longer if you realize that I, I am willing to die for this. I'm not going to throw it away. I'm not going to get muddled in my thinking about something that has the stakes that high. And we've got to have that attitude. He, met, he faced death many times over to fulfill his mission, which was to preach the gospel 
to the Gentiles. Please go back. Hold your place here. It's only a short journey from chapter 15 of, of 1 Corinthians over to the first chapter in 2 Corinthians. Probably only about three or four pages. Unless you have the really large print. I won't point anybody out. I'm getting there too. I have this little, I have this little convenient Bible. I have a lot of Bible, but this little convenient one that I like, especially now, where I'm, you know, I'm a walker and I'm a cane. I don't want to be carrying. You know, I have a lot of books. So I have this little one. But then I, I sit down and I start using it. And I'm like, is that verse 6 or is that verse 8? I'm like squinting, you know. 2 Corinthians 1.8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren. I want you to know that our affliction, which came to us in Asia. Ephesus was in Asia. He said, we were burdened excessively. It was too much to handle beyond our strength. Can God give you too much to handle? Yes, he can. But it's not too much for him to handle. You see it? All right. Beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. We thought it was all over. And he despaired of it. Can, can Christians ever be depressed? Oh, no. That shows a lack of faith. Really? Well, so apparently when Paul was burdened excessively beyond his strength, he was being unchristian because he despaired even of life. Don't believe that. Don't believe that stuff. See, see people who, do, who say those kind of things tend to live a very safe life. They don't extend themselves too much. They don't put themselves in situations of death. They don't have strong loves and so forth. Often, not always. I know I'm generalizing. So then for them, it's kind of unusual for them to ever be in a situation where they might be despairing of life. So it's easy for them to throw the stones, you know. Not true. Notice verse 9. Indeed, we had the sentence of death. Where was it? Was it at the courts? No, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. See, dying daily inside so that we would not, here's the reason, not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. There it is again. He's teaching. He said, the Lord taught me to trust in him who raises the dead by putting me in serious places of affliction where I had the sentence of death, where I despaired of life. Then, man, I really need for there to be a resurrection of the dead. Because this is not it. I need a hope beyond the grave. Who delivered us. He did it from so great a peril of death. And he will deliver us. He'll rescue us from the lion's mouth. As Paul would put it in 2 Timothy. He on whom we have set our hope. Please go to, back to 1 Corinthians 15, 32. 1 Corinthians 15, 32. Here's another interesting one. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? Now trust me, you know what I did. I went scouring through the New Testament to find out when he was, you know, fighting with beasts, wild beasts. You know? I mean, he lists a lot of things. We just saw him in 2 Corinthians 11. I didn't see fighting with wild beasts. I go to the book of Acts, and there's a chapter, chapter 19, on when he was Ephesus. I didn't see any wild beasts. I'm scratching my head. What could that mean? Well, again, we have no record of him fighting wild animals. You know, people like wrestle alligators and go in the ring with bears and that kind of thing. But he did this. He faced adversaries who were acting like wild beasts. You ever have that in your life? Somebody acting like an animal, we would say, like a wild beast? Of course you have. You may not have had it, but, but probably not at you, but you, you've seen these people. 
Believe me, he had adversaries that would have gladly torn him to pieces like a wild beast would, like a lion would, if they had the opportunity to do so. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about adversaries who acted like wild beasts because they wanted to kill him. Why on earth would he have done that if this life were all that there is? And he, how could he possibly be delivering a message and facing all of this if he knew it to be a lie? Would you? Would you have a message and go have all these adversaries and be dangerous in the city, dangerous in the wilderness, robbed, beaten with rods? Would you? For a lie? That would be totally insane. That's what he's saying here. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Party like there's no tomorrow, because one day soon there won't be. There's no resurrection of the dead. Let's have a good time. The dead are not going to be raised. Now here's where we slip into the last two verses. Why are we getting hung up with all these morality standards? Why am I concerned about how I treat my neighbor if there's no resurrection of the dead? Live a little. Get your pleasure while you can. By the way, isn't that exactly how the world sees life? It sure is. Now more than ever. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, right? Hello, we're there. But here's the sad part. Many, many Christians live the same way. They live as if there's no resurrection of the dead. That's sad. But it's absolutely true. Why? Because they have the same attitude toward life. Let us eat and drink for I don't know when I'm going to die, but it could be soon. So I'm just going to get all the gusto I can out of life. He who dies with the most toys wins. I got a bucket list. No, it has nothing about sacrificing for the cause of Christ. It's got all things that are for me. And I'm going to make sure I get through that bucket list before I die. Because you know, when you die, that's it. Well, that's not biblical Christianity friends. Do not be deceived. Verse 33, finally. Do not be deceived. All of that's deception. The world is being deceived, being lied to when they think that way. Now, how does that happen? Bad company corrupts good morals. I'm not talking about the band, those of you who are old enough to remember, but something else. We're going to see who this bad company is in just a moment. Don't be deceived. Who's deceiving them? Bad company. What is happening? How do you know they're being deceived? Because they get a quiz and they fail it? Not exactly, because their morals have been corrupted. They're living like there's no resurrection of the dead. That's how I know they're under deception. Millions of Christians are being deceived because they're acting with immoral lifestyles, with ignoring the word of God, just as if there's no resurrection. Become sober-minded. Wake up. Get out of that drunken stupor. Become sober-minded as you ought. Stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You know, there's a danger in grace preaching that people start to get the idea that, well, you know, anything goes. Yeah, I'm already forgiven. I can do whatever I want. It's all grace. Well, that is a lie. That is deception of the biggest kind. Why would Christ die to set us free from sin if he wanted us to go right back and turn ourselves under the slavery of sin after we're saved? 
that make any sense to you? That make any sense to me? We are supposed to stop sinning. Not for perfectly, but that ought to be our attitude. If we're in an area of sin, and all of us have some areas, the sin that so easily besets us, our attitude should never be, doesn't matter, nothing I can ever do about it. Our attitude should be, I want this to stop. Now, it's, it's up to the grace of God. In order, that's, the, that's the thing that will ultimately do it. But our attitude is important. All right. Some have no knowledge of God. If you think that you can just be uh, drunken with lies in your head and live that way, you don't know God at all. I speak this to your shame. Paul looked at the Corinthian church. What did he see? He saw certain people who were drunk with strong delusions. Some of them were drunk, period, like what happened during the Lord's Supper when they made a travesty of that, if you remember. But they were drunk with strong delusions. Not strong drink only, strong delusions. They acted as if they had no concept of who God really was. And it was shameful. And Paul knew it. And he was giving them an earful about it. He implores them to stop being seduced. When he says, do not be deceived. But by whom? Who was leading them astray? Again, I'm no great scholar, but when you want the answer to something in the Bible, very often what do you need to do? Read the next verse. But so often, you know, people get stuck and say, well, how are they deceived? Was it the philosophers? Was it the Stoics? Was it? No. Bad company corrupts good morals. Well, who's that? I'll tell you who it is. Think about, think about the context. What's the context? There were those who were professing to be Christians, however they were, denying the resurrection of the dead. That's bad company. A lot of us wouldn't think of that, right? A lot of us would go right away to the sinful behavior and say, that's bad company. But they wouldn't stop to understand that these are also professing Christians who have their doctrine wrong, who have their theology wrong, who don't think this. That's where it starts, by the way. As a man thinketh. Interesting word. We don't use it anymore. But as a man thinks, so he is. That's what he's saying. Those who profess to be Christians, again, there are millions of them, but deny the resurrection of the dead and as a result, are, as a result, are engaged in sinful behavior. The first thing is, is that they push God away because of his word. Then that leads to them being, being turned away into their own fleshly living. The word of God says, avoid such men as these. Avoid them. Avoid who? Anyone who would deny the resurrection of the dead, first and foremost. Avoid those people. You know, people think that, well, being a Christian means you just love everybody, and we all get together and sing kumbaya, and we throw away our differences about whether lordship salvation is the gospel, and we just don't worry about any of that. You know, don't worry about their, what they think is going to happen in the future. Let's just all get together, and let's be whatever we're going to be in the moral realm. Well, that's okay, but the problem is, is that if your thinking and doctrine are wrong, then you're not going to be able to, to even have the right understanding of what's right and what's wrong. I want you to think about that. A little leaven, in terms of your understanding of God, leavens the what? Whole lump of dough. One false teaching can bring down an entire congregation. I've seen it happen. One false teaching, okay? Tithing. And then all of a sudden you got people who can't afford it and then they got people who are judging them for it and now there's all this division in the church and so forth. But yeah, I could pick many different ones. This one, one false teaching about the resurrection and then the church has had it. So they had these corrupt conversations. They were listening to the bad company 
And then what happened? Well, they abandoned the good habits, whether it's their, their commitment to the word of God, their commitment to one another, their lifestyle, and then they started compromising. Compromising their beliefs, one by one. Compromising, compromising their moral standards. God, through Paul, cries out to such people, wake up out of your drunken stupor. Oh, we judge the alcoholic, but did we ever stop and think that we could be drunk? We could be in a stupor? Why? Because we're, we're thinking wrong. We're not thinking according to the mind of Christ. We can be. That's what the Word of God says. Sober up mentally. Sober up. Throw away that muddled thinking, that confusion. Don't be under the strong delusion any longer. Get sober-minded. Think as you ought to think. Come to your senses. Start thinking correctly again. Think rightly about the fact that there is a life to come and that there is a resurrection body. Start there. If you start there, believe me, a lot of other things will follow from that that will cause you to change your thinking about a lot of other areas when it comes to the Word of God, including sinning. He says, stop it. Behave properly. We should awake from the dead and be alive and ready and earnestly anticipating the rapture. That's not, that's, that comes from believing in it. And that, being that way precludes a lot of bad behavior, if we're thinking about it that way. So what is it, what's the point here? The point is that bad teaching results in wrong thinking. And a lot of people poo-poo, oh, you're going to a Bible church? Man, that's got to be so boring. I mean, you guys don't get up all the time and jump and shout and speak in tongues. And, you know, you have shows, you have movies, you have like theatrical. You don't have any of that. You're just having somebody get up there and teach. Why? That doesn't sound like any fun at all. Right? Well, the problem is it results in wrong thinking. If you're not saturated with the word of God, guaranteed you're thinking wrong. Your thinking is messed up. It's going to be just like the world. You're going to think just like the world. You're going to think that the purpose of a church is to join a certain social movement and that that shows a good church. You know? That what you do on Facebook shows that you're a good church. No, it doesn't. The preaching of the Word of God, we're the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's what a church is supposed to be. Okay, so what happens when you think wrong? You know, wrong thinking results in bad behavior. Yep, a lot of people want to ignore that. They want to think it all based on emotion and so forth. No, it's the bad thinking. Wrong thinking is what results in bad behavior. Not because they grew up in a bad environment. Not because they're having a tough time right now. But because they're thinking wrong. That results in bad behavior. Of course it does. Again, I want you to take this to heart, okay? Bring this not just in our subject today, but more generally... Once you abandon the word of God as your standard in any area, you start to question it in every area. Again, once you abandon the word of God as your standard in every area, like giving, like whatever else it might be that you just don't want to face, like stopping sinning or whatever those things are, things you ought to be doing and you're not doing, once you say, I don't need to pay attention to that. I'm abandoning the word of God as my standard. Not that you live up to it. It's different. If you're not living up to it, I get it. We're on our way. But if you're abandoning it and saying it's okay to, 
It's, I don't really need to this anymore in the word of God. Believe me, mark it down. You're going to start to question it in every area. So many people end up saying, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm questioning my faith. I don't know if there's a God. I don't know if I'm going to heaven and all this. Well, why? Well, it's because you're not using the word of God as your standard. Because you wouldn't fall into those traps. It gets easier and easier. Once you've abandoned God's word as your standard in one area, it gets easier, trust me, easier to reject other teachings in the Bible. Inevitably, when you do that, you will succumb to temptation and reject God's way of doing things. Paul saw that. He observed their sinful behavior. Just take a look at the letter, right? All kinds of sinful behavior. Taking, the, taking poor believers to the law courts of the Gentiles. Having, a, having a, a man sleep with his father's wife. And I could go on and on. You know. We studied all of that. Paul saw that, but he realized the root of the problem. He said, you know what? They've abandoned their belief in the resurrection of the dead. Oh, most people wouldn't put that together. But that's the truth. And here's the ultimate truth. The root of their problem is their ignorance of God. That's the root of everybody's problem, including the unbeliever, but also us. Having an incomplete understanding of who God is, his love, his righteousness, his justice, his eternal life, his all-powerful. If you believe in an all-powerful God, there's certain things that you won't do. The root of the problem is their ignorance of God, and it's our problem too. That's the root of all our problems. Like 1 Thessalonians 4 says, each of you needs to know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. Like the Gentiles who do not know God. So the problem is ignorance of God. What's the solution? Again, I'm no rocket scientist. Grow in the knowledge of God. Make sense? Of course it does. But see, here's what's not so simple. Not so easy. To actually do it. To actually admit, I'm ignorant of the ways of God in certain areas. or Maybe a lot of areas. But I know how to fix that. I'm going to grow in the knowledge of God. I'm going to seek out His Word. I'm going to find out who He is. Right? God says, it's not the rich, it's not the wise, but it's one who understands and knows me. Jesus Christ said, this is eternal life that they may know you, God the Father, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It is eternal life. Seek it out. Treat it that way. Go to the Word of God. Come and hear the Word of God preach. Talk about the Word of God with one another. Live it out. Show, you know, not show, but understand. When you understand who God is, believe me, you're going to change your living style. Absolutely. There's no question about it. Finally, Romans 12, 1-2. This will be it. Man, I went on a long time today. You know why my back is getting stronger. (laughs) Romans 12, finally, 1 to 2. This is the solution. Let's, Let's get to the solution. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. No more bad company. No more strong delusions. No more live it up because because there's nothing after death. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind every day. We need our minds renewed all the time. 
so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't associate with bad company. Those whose conversation, how do we how do we know those whose conversations are full of things opposed to the Word of God, including Christians? In fact, the worst kind of bad company are professing Christians who tolerate all sorts of false teachings leading to evil practices because they're denying one or more of the fundamental truths of biblical Christianity. It's the one you least expect. It's the one you least expect. How do you fix it? Increase in the service and grace and knowledge of the Lord. You know what? I'll leave you with this today. This This may be shocking to some people. I'm going to say it. Be very wary of people who say they love Jesus, but they don't really know much about him at all. That they don't go to the word of God. Oh, I love Jesus. But I don't find out more about him. I don't saturate myself with the thinking of Christ. Be careful of those people. They're dangerous. You want to know why? Because they'll end up, they'll do it to themselves and to you. They'll substitute the Jesus that they imagine for the real one. That's one of the most dangerous delusions that you can possibly be under. To substitute what you would imagine and like Jesus to be for the real one. Make sure you know the real Lord. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for gathering us together. We thank you once again that we can be around each other, albeit with social distancing. We also, Father, thank you for your word, which is alive and powerful. We know it is the anchor of our faith. We just want to thank you for every word that you've provided in the Bible. And as we leave today, Father, help us to begin with the right thinking, understanding that it's going to lead to correct behavior. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right. That's about it. Just want to remind everybody that we do have Bible study on Thursdays. We're on Skype um, because of just a lot of reasons. But if you, need, if, you, if you haven't come yet and you need a link, um, just email Mark. He's like, why do you keep putting my email up? I have no idea what people are going to start using it for. Hopefully just this. I've told them to ignore everything else. No, I didn't. Mark at lbible.org. All right. Remember, we're a grace ministry. We rely on people, Christians, freely giving. Because why? Because of the mission. We sacrifice because of the mission. That's the principle of giving. It's not tithing. It's freely giving. God loves a cheerful giver. Okay. Every time, every day, we should be focused on the truth of the gospel. I'm going to tell you again. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And he was raised from the dead on the third day. You believe that and you won't perish. You'll have eternal life. Any questions today about um, anything you have for me because of the situation um, with my health and social distancing? I just ask you rather than to come up and congregate that you would email me. Um, I'm assuming that my teaching is so clear and lucid that you don't have any questions. I haven't been getting much email lately. I'm kind of saying, what's wrong, you know? Maybe it's totally incomprehensible, so they're not even going to start. I don't know. All right. Father, we thank you once again for all that you've given us. We ask now, Father, that we would continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right. You're dismissed. Enjoy the day. Just not too much.